and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to our latest show. This time, we're delighted to be joined by senior lecturer in film studies, Jonathan Root who's here to chat about his new book, The Paths of Zatoichi. We'll come on to everybody's favourite blind sword for hire in a moment. Uh, Not that there's many. Um, But (laughs) first, let's ask the important question on the podcast. What's everyone drinking this episode? Perhaps, Jonathan, you can start. Um, Yeah, I've brought along, everyone seems to be appreciating it, um, some Japanese whiskey, (laughs) Tenjaku uh, blended whiskey from Japan, and we're all enjoying it, I think. It's absolutely lovely. It's smooth. It's It's very, very very nice. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Shall I go next? I've got uh, some uh, leftover Delirium Christmas. (laughs) Leftover? (laughs) That makes it sound like you've found half a bottle. I'll finish that. I'll finish this off. Well, some of us aren't from north of the border, James. Um, true, true. Uh, and that's 10% out of volume. Wow. Um, and I, yeah, from such sublime drinks, uh, I'm drinking McEwan's. <laughs> from north of the border. But it is McEwan's champion, which is allegedly a award winning. And is, it's almost like a super strength. It's a proper 7.3% folly. Ooh. So I think today, this is one, I will say this is one of the best quality collections of drink we've had on the podcast. It truly is. It's really, it truly it's is. very good. So, well, cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers. So let's get on. Um, I think we can, we'll, we'll chat about the situation in a, in a second. I think one thing that's really nice to start with, though, is how you got into Asian film, mm. Jonathan. I think, you know, we, we all kind of fall into these things and, and you, you, you have to kind of seek it out once you've got the bug. So what, what was it for you? Oh, that's taking me back. I think it was, if if you want to get to where it technically started, it was me recording horror films with my VHS player when I was a teenager <laughs> who were playing late night on Channel 4. Mm. Um, this was must have been the late 90s, early 2000s. Around that time, Mark Kermode was introducing a lot of them, yes. if not someone else, but I distinctly remember Mark Kermode introducing a few. And I think Caught Up In There was where I first got into, surprise, surprise, The Usual Suspects, Ring and Battle mm. Royale. Mm. Um, so got into it from there um, not long after that I went to university um, oh, before I went to university I was just starting to get into anime so I saw Akira of course mm. that, was a, that was a big watershed moment a friend introduced, introduced me to that and then um, got to university I got even more interested in, in Japanese cinema and I think if I remember this rightly just coming across some of the shelves of the DVDs they had in the library at the time that you could uh, borrow um, they they had a few Takeshi Kitano films. I'm pretty sure they had Violent Cop, oh. and I I started getting really interested to him. Like, who's this guy? What's this all about? Mm-hmm. Blown away by Violent Cop. Mm-hmm. Um, still one of my favourite Kitano films, and um, ended up doing my whole undergrad dissertation on um, uh, Takeshi Kitano's films at the time that mm-hmm. were available. So this was around. When did I complete that? That was around. 
2005, 2006. I was, I was writing about that when I was an undergrad at Winchester. Mm. I also had to buy a lot of... Uh, they weren't so expensive then. They're, they're blooming expensive now, as we were mentioning earlier. <laughs> I had to buy, a, at the time, a lot of academic books on Japanese cinema because there was no Asian cinema <laughs> scholar there at Winchester. So I had to self-teach myself all this. So reading <laughs> reading about what films I couldn't watch and watching as much Kitano films as I could. And uh, that's uh, uh, another good reason for me to mention that is that actually one of my projects leading up to my dissertation on Takeshi Kitano was around that time, you know, uh, 2005, 2006. So it was only a couple of years before his remake of Zatoichi came out, mm. um, which, you, you know, you, you don't hear of this happening a lot now with Japanese films. But that mm. was that was in almost, well, it was in a lot of cinemas across the UK, probably not every yes. cinema yeah. in the UK. And it got quite a wide DVD release yes. um, afterwards, um, so that was that was how I got introduced to the character, and mm. I did I, I did end up I think it was an imported DVD. I en- did end up tracking down the first Shintaro Katsu Zatoichi film, and I ended up doing a little uh, undergraduate project there, comparing mm. the original sixty two one to what Kitano had done in two thousand and three, because we'd just <laughs> cool. been we'd just been told a. Uh, mode of understanding genre studies and mm. breaking down story structure through um, basically this was an adaptation of Vladimir Prop. I'll, I'll try and I'll make this very short. I won't turn this into an academic lecture. <laughs> um, it was a breakdown of Vladimir Prop's morphology of the folk tale, basically arguing mm-hmm. that most stories, especially fairy tales, he was arguing at the time, follow a similar structure. And uh, an academic, David Desser had adapted this basically to samurai films, arguing that they all follow a similar structure. So I used that to compare the 62 Zatoichi film to the 2003 one. And basically arguing, yes, you can argue structurally and plot-wise they're very similar, but this doesn't take into account the visuals and everything else that that Kitano changed with his remake to make it very distinguished in, in his own. I, it's something that I, I was going to ask probably later as well, but we're if we're mentioning it now, like, so is that a, is it a remake the Kitano one, or is it you know a remake of one specific film, or is it you know what I mean, or is it an adaptation of the, the source novel? What's that, the status? That, that's a really interesting question because there's lots of different mentions of this mm. and it doesn't help with Kitano himself as you probably heard I mean you're <laughs> off to Udine soon aren't you Andrew yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's yeah. going to be there isn't yeah. he um, which I'm very jealous of <laughs> that is cool I don't yeah. know he's, he may not be too exposed to the public about yeah. him coming on to no I've, to I've heard his, uh, I've heard that his appearances are very brief and then mm, yeah, yeah might, but um, <laughs> what a one thing I have heard, and, and funnily enough, I, I reminded myself of this recently on some of the extras on the uh, special edition Zatoichi DVD, of his, his Zatoichi film. Um, Kitano doesn't help with kind of you learning the, the actual story as okay. to the impetus of the film's production, because he seems to tell a different one to every single journalist that he talks to <laughs> in terms of why this film got made. Um, I would say that the... Uh, so it's still a really interesting question because I would say that the 2003 film isn't a direct remake of one of the Zatoichi films. Apparently, okay. there were elements of this based on a story that wasn't made into a Zatoichi film. Oh, okay. as, uh, apparently. Yeah. Um, because what happened with... Again, we were talking about this just before the podcast and I'm, I'm happy to explain again. Um, you know, uh, Shintaro Katsu got very famous mm. for playing the Zatoichi character, but he also had... Uh, a, a, a notorious other side to his star persona, you know, being quite notorious off screen, you know, womanizer, drinker, mm. did get arrested for drugs a few times. You can, you can <laughs> Google this and find these news stories yourself. 
Um, eventually that led to financial troubles and he actually ended up selling the rights to the Zatoichi character at one point to this uh, woman called Chieko Saito. Um, who approached Takeshi Kitano to make the film, and he was initially very reluctant. He said he says this in almost every interview he's given about Zatoichi. Yeah. Um, he he said he didn't want to step into Shintaro Katsu's shoes because he's still so recognised even mm. by the early two thousands, and you could still argue to this day. I think you can argue that with some of the later remakes that came on uh, uh, came. Uh, uh, came out of Japan based on that character, but I'll come back to that later. So he was initially very reluctant, but he was convinced to do this. Um, he says he largely came up with the story originally, but he might have borrowed some elements on something that Chieko Saito had access to um, mm -hmm. that might be an unmade Zatoichi film. So it's not a direct remake of the older series. It's kind of um, the, uh, another word that was coming into my mind earlier when you asked the question, it's it's almost a kind of a reimagining, and okay. you could say in some ways with what happens at the film, a kind of an homage to what Katsu did, but he's also trying to be very original and unique, as yeah. he, again, Kitano said he wanted to do with the character by giving him a completely different costume, completely mm -hmm. different scabbard, the cane that he holds mm. is red. Right. Okay. Um, and, and the hair colour, of course, this is where yes. Kitano first goes bleach blonde, because he's mm. just like, right, I don't want anyone to associate <laughs> me with Shintaro Katsu whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Does the, does the Kitano one end with like a mad dance number? Like, yes, that's yes. Right. I, I, I love that. That's my ringtone at the moment. I love that piece of music. I really do. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, full, I've, full I've, on dance number. Yeah, I've revealed myself now. Full on Zatoichi you know, That is my ringtone. I just, I really love that piece of music, that, yeah. um, that sequence. Um, yeah, it just makes me smile um, every time I see it. Um, Kitano said he put that in there because a lot of these films, the Jidaigeki Shambara films, ended with a song and a dance scene okay. where, um, you know, everyone celebrated uh, Zatoichi or the other hero vanquishing the villains. does happen actually in a few of the Zatoichi, uh, original Zatoichi films, but not every single one, but a lot of them do centre around um, festivals. Sometimes that's where the film will start. Zatoichi will enter a village where a festival is taking place, then he finds out the Yakuza are trying to con everyone, and he eventually has to slay them all, as, as you expect in these films. As I was explaining earlier, they're very formulaic, this is yeah. the structure they follow, and sometimes the festival gets introduced later or, or earlier. Um, but Kitano decides to put that all at the end, and I think it works fantastically. That's the main thing I remember from that film, is the, yeah. is the song and dance ending and stuff. And I remember when it came out here, I think that was one of the... You know, for a lot of even like mainstream critics and things like that, that came as a big surprise because yeah. mm. this was coming out. What, what was it, two thousand and three? Yeah. So it was just, it was after stuff like Hero, Crouching Tiger, and everything. Which, and um, you know, Kill, Kill Bill, which was significant right. for the marketing because yes. I don't know if anyone remembers the poster. Um, they had a quote at the time from Jonathan Ross saying, "Kill Bills after which you would wipe the floor with him." That's, <laughs> that's how the film got marketed. <laughs> nice, nice, but. Yeah, I just remember a lot of the people being like, "What? Why is there music? What? Not that he didn't like it, but they were, yeah, people were yeah, just really yeah, surprised yeah. because, you know, for the mainstream audience, so they would obviously throw together stuff because that's what you hear, yeah. Crouching Tiger and stuff. Mm. So they were just getting used to this sort of big Johnny Mo, Grandio is honest, honestly not CCP that sort of style of stuff and everything. But then, 
you know, going into the situation, seeing, that, seeing yeah, a really yeah. joy, a joyful song and dance number there. I mean, it's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Very interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, a lot of Kitano fans would also be surprised as well. Possibly yeah. his fans in Japan, but mm. um, that's always been the interesting history with Kitano's films. He doesn't have that many fans of his films um, in Japan. <laughs> Though it changed with Zatoichi. I mean, if you if you're doing a remake of a beloved character like that, you yeah. know, you, uh, there's no surprise that's still the most successful film of his career. Oh, um, but before that, um, you know, he didn't have that many fans in Japan. He had more fans internationally, getting used right. to his style and everything. Mm. Uh, Joe Hisaishi was mostly doing the music for his films. Mm -hmm. And then when Zatoichi comes along, he, he gets a completely different um, composer. Mm. And the uh, band, this is really annoying because I watched the DVD recently. <laughs> I forget the actual tap dance band who were brought in to choreograph okay. that in sequence. Um, no, it's gone. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, easily, easily, uh, you can easily find those names: the composer and the the dance mm. group on on Google who do a great job. And I'm sure there's so many YouTube clips of that dance yes. sequence as well. Must, must be so fun to watch. <laughs> and at ringtone as well. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that's very cool. <laughs> So should we go kind of uh, head back to to the, the genesis of, of Zatovich yeah. then? Uh, yeah. You know, what, what, you know, what what did he come out of? So I mean, I you know, and I have to say, and as I've said to, to Jonathan, you know, I, I do have the the big criteria on set of all the films, um, which is which is which is a massive set, and it's the one that has the DVDs and the Blu-rays in and everything in mm. the booklet. Um, and it's pretty much unwatched so far, not because I don't want to. Um, but in some ways, and we can come back to this a bit later, but it is quite a daunting thing to mm -hmm. think, oh, there's yeah. 25 films here, where do I, you know, and yeah. obviously you start at the beginning, but, um, so what, what, where did he, where did the character mm. come from? No, I, I completely sympathise with you. It's a daunting <laughs> task because I only made the time to commit to this. I don't know how I did it now, actually. It was back in 2014. I watched 30 Zatoichi films in 30 days. Wow. Okay. And I, you know, <laughs> anyone that's keeping count at home or maybe has the Wikipedia page open at the moment knows that there's only 29 Japanese Zatoichi films. So I did sneak Blind Fury in yes. there cheaply as well. Yes, it had to be done. Which, which will come on. Yeah. Later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I, I I tried establishing myself as a famous like blog person back in 2014. It didn't happen, but the blog is still there if people want to watch it and read how I feverishly wrote the, all this stuff down. <laughs> while I was watching it. Um, yeah, it is a daunting task, and I haven't done it recently myself. I was finding up until a few years ago. It was also difficult going through the TV series, which right. I had to go through as well for the purposes of writing the book. But I'll come back to that. Um, the the box set you have is a great place to kind of help with starting the story of Zatoichi because mm -hmm. if anyone does have that already or is thinking of getting it, what you also get in the booklet is the English translation of the original short story where the character turns up. Right. And this was okay. first published by Kan Shimozawa um, back in 1948. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. A lot of his short stories were first pub published in like serial format, newspapers and magazines, mm -hmm. um, but later on brought into compendium works and I think uh, that's credited in the Criterion booklet as to where they, they got that translation which they put now out into English. And it's a very different character. I mean, you, you, you both said you had brief knowledges of Zatoichi. Yeah, very, very and brief, and yeah. we've started off talking about the Kitano mm. um, film, which, you know, some elements of the famous character that Shintaro Katsu established are, I would say, retained in that remake to a certain degree. But going back and reading the short story, it's mm. startling how different the character is. Um, because in most of the films, he's he's kind of 
established as being an enemy of the Yakuza, especially yeah. those that are out to corrupt the villages and towns around them and the, the peasants and the farmers. Mm -hmm. um, in the short story, he's already established as an ally of the Yakuza and he oh, actually yeah. he actually polices the gambling dens where they're calling right. out you probably know these from from many Japanese yes. films not just Atuichi films where they're all mm. calling out Cho and Han mm. and he's actually policing them and anyone that causes trouble he just comes in um, they can see he's blind but he slices a cup or a coin in half <laughs> shows how good he is with the sword and, and anyone that's causing trouble just shuts up <laughs> so he's he's established in that story as that way but once a um, uh, very give a bre very brief synopsis of the story here and not don't spoil it entirely it's still worth reading yourself but mm. basically uh, a yakuza boss in that story does something morally questionable that zatoichi does not agree with and okay. ends up leaving uh, his uh, employ if you will mm. and and he has a wife in this story as well okay. uh, yeah because yeah. uh, in most of the films he's like wandering yeah. and never settles down <coughs> or establishes a love interest or, or sets up mm. a family or anything like that you, you see sometimes he tries to attempt some of these things but it never works out um, but in the short story he has a wife okay which is interesting so the, with the films then mm. is that like the first adaptation of it if this was 48 what was the first film 68 um, first film yeah is 62 with Katsu and yeah it's interesting how that came about as well as that first film mm. um, because uh, in the book I say that the roots of Zatoichi even starts just just before that first film um with Shintaro Katsu's film career, of course, he didn't just land into it accidentally. Mm. There's actually a bit of build-up to this. Um, also, kind of a build-up with where Daie were going and um, where this character came from, uh, probably across a scriptwriter, because the writer of the story, Kan Shimazara, I'm trying to remember now as best as I can the other stories of his that were adapted on screen. I think this came a bit after um, the first Zatoichi film, but he wrote lots of other stories like Tales of the Shinsengumi, the kind of elite samurai okay. warriors of the Tokugawa period, and, and lots of other stories, sometimes about similar drifters to Zatoichi, sometimes based on the actual samurai rankings of the time and offices around. Um, so Daya and some other studios were adapting a lot of these stories, and then I think a scriptwriter came across the, the Zatoichi story and got inspired to write a script but before mm. that actually Zat uh, sorry Zatoichi um, that's how he's known now um, mostly as Shintaro Katsu sorry had played a blind person before Ooh, um, okay. The Blind Menace a film from 1960 also known as you, you might know it either as The Blind Menace or it's got two other titles confusingly <laughs> of course um, Agent Shiranui I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from um, I might have misremembered part of the film. I'm sure it relates to part of the dialogue. Also called Secrets of a Court Masseur. <laughs> and this, this, is, yeah. this is an interesting contrast to how the heroic Zatoichi would be established in the film series because the, the blind Suga, Suga Noichi, I'm pretty sure that's his character's name, um, in The Blind Menace is a complete bastard, complete <laughs> villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he... Um, he is blind from a young age and you start to feel sympathy for him first of all but he realises if he can con people into sympathising him or he can get some money yeah. and he just gets greedier and greedier from there oh, leading yeah. to you know um, establishing relationships with the Yakuza so he can feed them information about who houses to rob and then it gets to um, you know uh, involving plots involving uh, deception rape murder later mm -hmm. on 
Um, he, he's a really nasty character. Also, also that he can become the kind of highest ranking and richest blind person in medieval Japan at the time. We're talking the, the classic samurai um, era um, when these films are usually set, the Tokugawa era. So 17th century to 19th century. At that time, there was a ranking of blind people called the Kengyo. Um, because blind people could only enter into professions like music, being a masseur, or um, some of them, if they became particularly famous and wealthy, became moneylenders. So Suga Noichi in this film, in The Blind Menace, uh, has this aim to become like the richest and most powerful Kengo ever, but he's doing it by nefarious means. Um, and that's that's what how he gets involved in murder deception. He becomes uh, incredibly, you know, leery and lustful as well. <laughs> so he uses this to manipulate women and and um, you know have them as possessions. Basically, even though he's blind, he's, yeah. he's amazing how he can still lust after women. Although you watch the trailer and you realise there's a dream sequence where he can see at some point. So he <laughs> seems to be dreaming of yeah. of naked women and those he admires. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds a, it sounds yeah. a bit laughable, but yeah. actually it's a really good film and he 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 does really well in it. Um, Shintaro Katsu playing this complete you know, as I said, really horrible person. Mm. And um, it's, it's worth watching for his, appoint, uh, his, his performance alone. And if anyone's familiar with primarily his work as Zatoichi, you might find it an interesting contrast. Yeah. Mm. Um, so he played that role, first of all. And again, there's some interviews that you can still find with Shintaro Katsu with him saying, oh, I know how to play a blind person because we used to have a blind servant in our, in our household. Okay. That's the story he tells. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, after the success of The Blind Menace, because it wasn't like a massive success, but I think it was a moderate success for Daie, um, Shintaro Katsu tries a few other starring roles, because that was it. I think that was his first lead role for Daie. Um, he'd only had supporting roles before that. And then he tries to establish another long-running action series called Akumyo, where he's, again, a gangster-type character. He doesn't have a sword here, but he's mainly he's mainly beating up other gangsters in rival gangs. Uh, Akumyo literally translates as tough guy, I think <laughs> it is. Um, so he thinks he's going to establish that. I think the first film in that series, um, that, that does end up being a long-running series, about 13, 14 instalments. Okay. Um, he thinks that's going to be his big action series, and, he'll, um, and then he's offered to do... Um, the Tale of Zatoichi, Zatoichi Monogatari, which ends up coming out in 1962. Mm. And this is seen as something he can maybe do on the side. Oh, they asked me to play a blind character again. Okay, I'll do okay. it for this film. Which they intend as a one-off, because this is a very different kind of film for what the Zatoichi series became known for, mm. which the Kitano film is a good indicator of, mm-hmm. um, right. in terms of uh, Zatoichi coming across, you know, evil Yakuza that are either after him or want to corrupt the local town and, and fleece them for all their money and him basically vanquishing the bad guys. Um, the tale of Zatoichi does have an element of that, um, but it, Ichi in it is incredibly reluctant to draw his sword. Okay. So you spend a lot of this film is like the build-up to this coming violence. Um, it takes a lot of elements from the original short story, um, being about the rivalry between two, um, that, again, I've forgotten the names, really annoying. I've written, it's really <laughs> annoying when you've written a book on this subject and you forget the key names involved. Um, but it's about two rival gangs who are fighting over territory. One wants to take over the other. And it, 
Ichi is at first of all friends with one of these rival bosses who is desperate to pay Ichi as much as he, money as he can to be involved in this upcoming battle yeah. so that he can help him slaughter the bad guys because he already knows how good he is with a sword. Right. Um, you see a few tricks on screen showing uh, Ichi skills with slicing coins, slicing candles, um, but you don't see him kill anyone until much later on in the film. Um, when he's kind of forced to, to defend himself mm. and then reluctantly he does get involved in the battle at the end. And it also includes the very famous uh, trope, because this happens in a good few films afterwards as well, of him uh, actually making friends with the rival gang's uh, samurai for hire, or ro uh, sorry, sword for hire, I should yeah. say, Ronin, because they're mm. no longer a samurai by that point. Mm. Um, making friends with them before they have to fight to the death at the end of course there's always that, <laughs> that bit of tragedy yeah yeah there's always a bit of uh, a tragic element there so that's right in there from the first Zatoichi film onwards and they return to a lot of these tropes but okay. after that first film when it's a surprise hit for Dae they decide to up the ante on the action and start making this an action film series yeah. and you see that quite uh, quite quickly from the second film onward, uh, onwards the imaginally titled and released in the same year so this is why it's had such an imaginative title and comes out the same year uh, The Tale of Zatoichi Continues <laughs> where it's set straight afterwards um, it's much shorter running time but Zatoichi is killing more bad guys and, yeah. oh and his brother turns up uh, did oh. any of you know who Shintaro Katsu's brother is he also turns up as the brother funnily enough of of the Zatoichi character in this film. His brother is Tomisaburo Wakayama? No, I'm not, not sure. Who is the, the lead guy in No Wolf and Cub? Yes. Oh, that is, yeah. Yeah. Right, that is and, interesting. And Shintaro Katsu produced those films. Ah, yeah. ah okay, that's, that's an interesting yeah. link. And um, yeah, um, uh, Wakayama ends up, ends up being a guest villain, if you like, in, in two of the films, Zatoichi Continues and Chest of Gold as well as one of the TV episodes. Cool. <laughs> so he keeps having uh, fun killing his brother. Well, he doesn't kill him in the TV episode, but in the films that he turns up in, he is, he is killed as the villain. So he gets to kill his brother a couple of times. It must have been fun for him. Maybe not his brother so much. <laughs> doesn't get to flip it. Then. No, he never, he never does. That's an interesting point you've mentioned. He, he doesn't turn up in Lone Wolf and Cub and get slaughtered, Shintaro Katsu, which is a shame. <laughs> so they're never quite even on that score. But I guess, I mean, those two series, I mean, I'm more familiar uh, with the Lone Wolf and Cub stuff, but I guess yeah. they're two, you know, kind of iconic ones, for especially for, you know, for Western fans could, and everything. And would you say that um, the, could, the Lone Wolf and Cub, of course, came out of the, the manga? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you say that actually there is a sort of weird synergy because is that quite influenced? And we can come out to influence it a bit, bit more later. But is that quite influenced by the Satoichi films, or do you think that yeah. the influence in that level covers from other? It's it's interesting because when those films come out, the Zatoichi series is is almost taking a similar turn. Um, skipping along a bit because this would make your podcast, you know, much much longer if we went through it but film by film. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I have no problem skipping along here. About <laughs> the time, because I'm just trying to remember when they all came out. Because again, that's six films that comes out in a very short space of time. It's seventy two, isn't it's, it? It's it's actually most of them are sort of about seventy one, seventy two, seventy three. And then I think the last one is is a few years later, kind of officially, as I remember it. I've, I've got the laziness over there. I can grab them and look. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a feeling it was early 70s. They mm. all came out very quickly yeah, and then all yeah, of a sudden they, were... they stopped because yeah. 
Um, I've heard, well, I've heard a few stories on this, but um, Tom Mez has, has also written a book on the Lone Wolf series mm. who says okay. that Wakayama just walked out because they had plans on, you know, adapting this to TV instead of film. And apparently he, he wasn't impressed with doing that, mm. which is kind of odd because I've looked back through Wakayama's credits and, and just before um, Katsu took Zatoichi to TV, um, him and his brother had made this series called Mute Samurai. Where Wakayama plays <laughs> plays a guy who's had his throat sliced so he can't talk, but he's on a quest for vengeance, as you do. Mm. Um, so he had worked in TV already, but yeah. for some reason they'd suddenly thought of changing the the Lone Wolf and Cub formula after six films, and he just quit okay. for whatever mm. reason. Yeah. Um, but at the same, sorry, the point I was making mm. is that at the same time in the early seventies, um, the Zatoichi series was making a similar turn into kind of out, outlandish violence and um, gratuitous sex. Sometimes as well, well, no, not entirely, because they were kind of reluctant to do that later on in the series because Zatoichi had always been kind of much more of a family uh, orientated en- entertainment. Okay. Um, the it, Criterion box set aside, I mean, it's a wonderful set, and it kind of, uh, as you know, with the label like Criterion, it establishes these films as artistic yes. to a certain yeah, level. Yeah. Yeah. That label's kind of wrong, as is the kind of exploitative entertainment label, which these films are also associated with because yeah. of associations with Lone Wolf and Cub and things right. like that. Yeah. These were actually, you know, aimed as mass market entertainment by Daae just to get as many okay. people mm. in the cinema as possible. That's why if you do ever, at, um, at any point, Andy, or yourself, James, <laughs> watch a lot of these films, you'll think, there's a lot going on here. There's like a scene that kids will enjoy. There's a scene the adults will enjoy. Oh, oh and there's some sword action as well for the action nuts. So they, <laughs> they try to aim at everyone. And this is, this is kind of what um, Daae became famous but also infamous for because they did go bankrupt in the early 70s. They were <laughs> this, trying this to is reminding us of, of the chat that we had about the, 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 the series with the, the big guy, the big, the big stone guy, you know, the big stone guy we were talking about. Damaging. Yes. Guys, yes. Thank you. I was going to say Gargantua. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, and I was thinking of Golem. That's a brilliant link to make because you know the studio that made them yeah yeah it's Daya as yeah well. yes, and, yes. and it's and it has the same there is that weird time especially when you get to the the, the i think it's the third film where yeah. they, yes. there's all the kids in there and it's basically right. a kids film it's like well hang on how do we get yeah. to this from so he's he, yeah I'm, I'm recognizing the pattern here of what they do oh. yeah and we're tying the podcast together as well <laughs> I guess you can go can, back and listen to the chat we had with Philip about that no they yeah. have heard it already yeah. but they can we'll listen to it again but they can listen to it again I'd recommend it as well I'll listen to that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do, enjoy the Daimajin <laughs> films a, a lot yeah so that's good but how outlandish did these films get though like you I mean did, did they ever get properly really weirdly wacky or um, sometimes to the extent where there's there's some that I don't think are as successful as others. Some are fondly remembered for like the w- wacky plot lines and stuff yeah. that they bring in. Like um, a lot of the trailers for these films you can still find online. One of the most bizarre, but it's also done by one of the best directors in the Zatoichi series, um, Kenji Misumi, who also directed a lot of Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay. Um, he directed a lot of the Zatoichi films. He's responsible for the first one, and I mm. think responsible for why that's so tonally different from a lot of the others. But he's also responsible for kind of the, some more wacky and comedic films, although he's not even responsible for the script. So technically, I should say that's probably up to the scriptwriter. There's a film, Fight Zatoichi Fight. I think it's the eighth film, but I can't remember when it came out because they were just so close together. It might have been 64 or 65. Yeah. Um, 
Itchy has to look after a baby that he's found abandoned on the road. Okay. And right. it, you can see this in the trailer. He tries inexplicably, that's the one, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's in the picture there that you yeah. just found. Okay. Yeah. He tries inexplicably trying to breastfeed the baby <laughs> as a man. What? Yes. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what luck. to say to that. Yeah, good luck, good luck me. I don't yeah. think that's going to work out for him. What, what, what's also bizarre is, again, kind of skipping ahead a bit, uh. um, is that some of these bizarre plot lines, like some of the thought of back on as most of the famous and memorable plot lines, are, are kind of um, redone again in the TV episodes. Some yeah. of the TV episodes are just like the Zatoichi films again, but in a shorter length of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they, they, try and, they try and spice up the formula a bit, but they also try and keep it... To what the audience is expecting, so after okay. which he's going to wander into somewhere, find who the bad guys are, kill them, move on. Did did they had some crossovers with other stuff? Yes, didn't yeah. everything. I mean, one armed swordsman. I mean, that's, yes. that's the, the famous one. I mean, that's one of the ones I've seen. Kind of talking about this. I mean, because definitely one armed swordsman was influenced by Zatoichi, the idea of a, a disabled, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, person, you know, or somebody who is, in this case is is made disabled. Um, you know, learn, learning to fight again, learning how to use his left arm and mm. all that sort of thing. But, you know, you, you mentioned the the other title before, um, The Mute Swordsman. Is there this kind of weird sort of subgenre of, of samurai films where people have this... Where does this come from? Mm. Um, kind of... Yeah, there, there are... That's, again, a really good question. There are earlier roots to this, some of which I, I briefly talk about in the book, but... It would be a whole other book in itself, I'm honest, if you, if you wanted to chart that entirely. I found out through the research of Man Fung Yip, who's a scholar based in Oklahoma, um, that in Hong Kong cinema and also Taiwanese cinema, and he mentioned some South Korean titles, sadly, which I could find very little information for, um, there are some other disabled kind of martial arts uh, action films which crop up in the 60s and 70s mm. and again there's a question of you know how much is Zatoichi influencing that there's mm. there's um, I think there is a blind swordsman mentioned as a South Korean title there's some Taiwanese knockoffs which do- link directly to Zatoichi later f- following the crossover with the one on swordsman okay. um, which I'll come back to um, but yeah there's some interesting South Korean titles that he does mention in his book again I'd struggled to find information on that but earlier Japanese influences that I could find on kind of similar characters that are disabled but mm. also to be feared for yeah. their swordsman-like qualities. Um, yeah, there are some early ones. There's, there's Tankasazen, uh, oh, I don't know if you've heard of. Who's, I don't know the name, but I'm trying to remember. He's a character, I hope I've pronounced that right as well, Aaron Garou will probably tell me off, who very kindly <laughs> endorsed the book and has a whole website called Tangamania, all, <laughs> all about this character and his other interests in, in Japanese cinema. So do do check that out if you're interested. He probably knows a lot more about this subject than me. But Tanga Sazen is a character who's appeared quite a lot on Japanese screens, but usually through different actors. He was uh, started off... It was either a ma- oh, this is really bad. Either a manga or short story series in like a Japanese serial, okay. uh, so newspaper or magazine. And he is a one-armed, one-eyed swordsman. 
and um, he became known for first being quite fearsome in his stories and then one of the most famous stories that he has been adapted onto screen a few times in films and TV is the one million Rio pot mm. and the amount of times that was adapted I think it was first adapted in the 30s if not the 20s but I feel safer betting on the 30s um, they kind of turned him into a more kind of lovable and roguish character and not so much more of a serious swordsman. Okay. And um, that's how he's often been portrayed again on screen since. So there mm. are some earlier antecedents mm, of kind okay. of wandering yeah, drifter yeah. characters and some of mm. them have uh, almost similar disabilities to Zatoichi, though he's not missing any limbs, he's just yeah. born blind. Um, or some of the films say he lost his sight as a young age. Some of the other stories say he was born blind. Um, but yeah, Tang Tanga Sanzen is is an interesting parallel. Mm. Nope, that, that, that's cool. I mean, we also had stuff like uh, the Blind Beast and everything. Like that. Oh yes, there was yeah, quite, quite a lot of these. Yeah, another yeah, another Dae film. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah that, that's why it kind of popped into my head. It's just that there did seem to be a not I'm not going to say trend, but quite a lot of these where they were across mm. different genres, where it was a focus on a, either a blind person or someone disabled. Maybe because they were like on on the fringes of society or yeah. outside of society, doing yeah doing something either extraordinary or extraordinarily sinister or bad. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. So it's quite which you don't really get any, anymore so much, I suppose. No, I guess political correctness comes yeah. into that in some way, but yeah. also you know it's it's interesting that they're not because we're celebrating uh that you see some of big mainstream action films trying to do yeah. this now in terms of celebrating diversity and inclusivity sure. with having disabled people on screen from yeah. different backgrounds so maybe it should happen but maybe not in the way that happened back then a very fine line yeah yeah that's been a problem and some of them it's you know it's clearly just it's not necessarily exploitation but it's clearly just there's a gimmick or something yeah, yeah. That, you know yeah. he you know the blind beast he's, he's blind he's also a pervert <laughs> yeah he's a killer yeah that you know? that would never get made again but <laughs> you, you have to yeah. you have to wonder with someone like zatoichi I, yes. I guess the most notorious the more notorious aspect of that is shintaro katsu's you know persona off screen yeah. i mentioned earlier yes that's perhaps more problematic now the character is played but it is it is interesting that you could argue to some extent, though I kind of make a different point in the book, the interest of Zatoichi seems to have died out. We haven't had a Zatoichi film since 2010. But for the reasons that you've, yeah. you've just mentioned, yeah, um, it could be an element of political correctness, but there, there might be a possibility there to bring him back on screen to kind of celebrate you know, yeah. people with disabilities. At the same time, though, again, I touched on a little bit of this in my research there is a, another trend of blind characters sometimes being hyped up as having extraordinary abilities oh, which can, yeah yeah oh, which yes, can be a yes. negative stereotype in itself yes i did make links to daredevil <laughs> too yeah. oh, did you have a shout out to ben affleck <laughs> uh no no i didn't end up shouting out to ben affleck in the end because i can't find any con direct connection other than him being blind yeah. and incredibly athletic with the ben affleck film but there's more direct connections with the uh, you've definitely got frank when Frank series. Miller yeah. was was doing it, because he, I mean, yeah. he ended up, I think he did artwork for the this Criterion, but he did it oh. for he did it for the Lone Wolf and Cub. Right. You know, so he's, he's he's a massive fan. Yeah, of, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah, he brought in anyone else? Oh, oh, lovely. oh yeah, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he brought in Stick in the nineteen eighties. If that's you know right. Daredevil, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I don't. And I don't. I'm gonna, have yeah, you I do, seen the Marvel series yeah. with Daredevil? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Stick is introduced. 
as a blind man wielding a sword, speaking Japanese, tracking mm. down the Yakuza. And it's quite blatantly, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're yeah. making the Zatoichi connection. And when he's first seen, I, I think it's either in the comic, it's definitely in the, in, in the Marvel series, he's first seen in military fatigues. Which I wonder is yeah. a, I wonder if that's a callback to Blind Fury because he's an ex army right, veteran. Yes. Oh, in yeah, Blind yeah, Fury, yeah, yeah. so many links. There, there are so <laughs> many so links. Rabbit holes. No, to one, go one, the trouble is, they would, yeah. somebody would have thought about that when they were doing it. Have, yeah. 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 The, the, one, think the original Daredevils would have been before Blind Fury would stick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, early 80s. I'm sure yeah. it was early 80s. So it's yeah, it was early 80s, yeah. And there was also, I haven't found evidence for this, but the first Daredevil comic in from like the Stanley Jack Kirby mm. era, yeah. that came out in 64. Ooh, but so I haven't found oh. any evidence confirming if they were inspired by Zatoichi. It's a possibility, but I can't say for certain. A bit, a bit of a coincidence, I guess, yeah. if nothing else. If there was absolutely nothing there It's just all. how these films might have, uh, have travelled, but they did. Sometimes yeah. they did, you know, dubbed and, and yeah. whatever, and yeah. into a sort of, yeah, 48, what was it? 42nd Street kind of grindhouse era. <laughs> you know, with Jack and Stan like, just going down, let's watch this new samurai movie. Called Blind Man of Death or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or some of them did go down the route of, uh, very few, um, came out of this but uh, a few of the films could be linked to the trend of some samurai films inspiring westerns yes there is that yes. side yeah. of it too yeah, yeah um, it's that, that he doesn't appear often on the screen but there have been a couple of blind um gunslinger films i don't know if you've seen any oh, that's a good oh, i don't think so nothing no? nothing springing no. to mind i i yeah i could only mention two in the book which I can mention briefly. Yeah, yeah, one's, one's fun. I think you can find it on YouTube, if not some other video <laughs> streaming site, from 1971, Ferdinando Baldi's Blind Man. Okay. Very original title. <laughs> and it's Tony Anthony playing uh, the lead character who's a crack shot with a rifle, but is blind, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> Just... And I, right. I forget who's the main bad guy, but he's got... Uh, a brother who's equally villainous in the film, but he's kind of more famous in this film because he's played by none other than Ringo Starr. Oh, I have, I've read about this film many years. I know the one you mean now. Sorry, I, I haven't seen it or anything, but I do. It's it's I worth a watch, but you might not want to watch it ever again after seeing it. It's it, it's it's not a glowing yeah. recommendation. Well, it's uh, it's not the greatest. I found it really interesting. I don't think I'm going to watch it again. But yeah, it it kind of. It kind of shows that the, the trend I mentioned earlier with where Zatoichi in the early 70s, you know, uh, suddenly injecting more sex and violence to yeah, try and keep yeah. people interested yeah. in the cinema, which is partially down to Shintaro Katsu directly, not just because of producing the Lone Wolf and Cub films. Okay. Also in 71, he directs one of the Zatoichi films finally, right. Zatoichi in Desperation, okay. where, um, uh, where he's actually deceived by a prostitute that he's trying to save, but she's yeah. actually on the side of the Yakuza, tries to get Zatoichi <laughs> into bed so they can, uh, they can you know, end him once and for all. Um, it's, it's quite a dark film. I mean, yeah, yeah that premise sounds quite funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, quite, it's one of the darker entries. So he's almost directly responsible with that film, if you see it that way, for yeah. it taking this slant. And he's producing the Lone Wolf and Cub films. And then in 71, it's interesting that there's, there's interesting parallels going on with Westerns and other genres around the world. They're in, injecting more sex and violence into their films to get, keep people interested in the cinema. Yeah. This happens with Blind Man. 
Um, he ends up through, I can't remember what plot device, he's basically hired to take these women that have been captured to basically their mail order brides for this mine that he's travelling to. Um, and he has to fend off this kind of villainous outlaws that just wants to capture the women for themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's where um, the lead villain comes in and his brother, played by Ringo Starr. <laughs> so it's quite that that is quite exploitative that film you can yes. imagine from that plot so that's yeah. why I say not yeah. the greatest film I've ever seen interesting don't think I'll watch it again <laughs> yeah but it, it, it is interesting that there hasn't been you said it's in 2010 and there hasn't been a Zatucci or everything and even for you know, people who are just familiar with more with the Kitano film rather mm. than, you know, the backstory and stuff. Just with the, the the degree to which stuff gets recycled, remade, reimagined mm. and redone and stuff. It's quite strange that there's not been anything. Because, I mean, something like Lone Wolf and Cub, you can see because it's not, it doesn't quite have that same sort of high premise. Not gimmick, but thing, mm. you know, blind, blind master swords. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd think that might have been you know, pulled up you know, once every decade, once every mm. 20 years or something. Well, you know? yeah, you... Yeah, you'd say with Lone Wolf and Cub, I think it has, because again, Tom Mez wrote about this in his yeah. book on Lone Wolf and Cub, but actually it's more prolific and well-known in Japan on TV um, okay. than the film series. Right. I mean, it's fa- uh, Lone Wolf and Cub is famous around the world because of films, mainly yeah. that I think that's down to the success of Shogun Assassin, yes. Yes. Um, which was a big international success. Um, but in Japan, it's uh, I think that story is more famous through the manga as well as the TV series. Okay. Um, which, of course, with a lot of Japanese TV, doesn't doesn't get exported uh, the way that uh, Japanese films do. Yeah. And it, it, I, I think it is kind of sad in a way that um, it, there has been a big gap now in the mm. time that we're talking about with the last um, appearance of Zatoichi on screen. But I did find a lot of homages, obviously, to the character that have come out since 2010. We've already mentioned Daredevil. don't think we've mentioned since we've been recording Rogue One yet. Right. That's yeah. another one um, that we can come back to as well um, later if we have time. There are uh, interesting homages. So there, there's good reason if a studio wants to. I think it might be Toho, perhaps, that still owns the rights. Okay. They could come back to this character. Because it wasn't so long ago we had Shin Godzilla, did we? Yeah. After yeah. they said, no, that's it. There's Godzilla <laughs> Final Wars. That's it. It's the yeah. end. They did bring him back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it could be done. No one ever dies. <laughs> no. No, one no, ever there, dies. There's no, there's no need to. Uh what was the last one you said 2010 was that 2010 a... yeah I can't really recommend that one either I'm, I'm afraid to say it was, yeah. wasn't the greatest success on what was screen. it called sorry it was called Zatoichi the last they were determined it was just Toho again <laughs> Toho again determined to end the character once and for all we're not and... going anymore this is it yeah. this is the last and, and like spoiler that. alert and I'm going to spoil it because it's not yeah, that great a film they do kill him off at the end and oh, this is something yeah. that had not been seen on screen before. Zatoichi dying, Zatoichi. yeah. Right, right, right. And it's it's not done very well because they're trying to reintroduce the character, reimagine him in a different way, go back to some of the source material. This is actually the only time on screen that you see him have a wife at the beginning. Okay. But of course, surprise, surprise, she tragically dies. Yeah, and because yeah. um, herself is that. yeah. Uh, and that becomes a big impetus for the plot. You know, finding out eventually who killed her and tr- him trying to get revenge. Um, that yeah, that comes much later on. They really do draw that out a bit. Yeah. Um, the guy, the guy playing Zatoichi, he tries to do the best job he can, but he just it just doesn't work on screen. And Shingo Katori, who some listeners might know from the Japanese boy band SMAP, and he's he's had a um, I think his film career has has continued uh, career on film and TV has continued since. 
Um, as you may know, this happens a lot in East Asian countries. You know, if you're in a famous band, you often go into film and TV yeah, acting. Yeah. Um, this kind of makes sense as well if you're thinking of redoing Zatoichi because Shintaro Katsu actually started on the stage as a musician and an actor okay. Okay. and then became a film actor later. And it would often be an excuse in the Zatoichi films for him to suddenly bring out the shamisen or start singing. <laughs> right. um, some, yeah. of the ca- some of the cameos in the film series and also in the TV episodes are like fe- with famous female pop singers of the time that Zatoichi suddenly does a duet with. And you know that's why. Yeah, you know, you know that's why he's doing it. He's getting the guest stars in so uh, that he can show off his other talents. You're basically getting a kind of the equivalent of the BBC variety show, where you'd have Dusty Springfield or Cliff Richard, with some of them. Yeah, Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's really interesting. So you think with the later films, it kind of makes sense to get one of these musicians turned actors to Mm. kind of um, you know reintroduce interest into the character. But if you're going to kill him off at the end, yeah, what's the point? Pointless, isn't it? Yeah, is it the few? Version of it, there's the female version of there's well, there's there's um, one female version of the character, but the one that did get uh, I think uh, a little small international release, yeah, it was 2008. It was itchy because it was very confusing because like itchy the killer, yes, as well. So a lot of people were searching, looking. I do remember being confused by that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> confusing for for that reason, and I, I, I remember seeing the poster and realizing, oh yeah, okay, they're doing a gender flipped version of Zatoichi, yeah. and I thought it would be really interesting to have this kind of refreshed um, version of the character, like yeah. a new iteration of the character. Actually, it's it's presented as kind of these legacy sequels. Okay. Because it turns out that she is someone that was rescued and partially oh, raised really? by Zatoichi. Yeah, you okay. get these flashbacks okay. to a lookalike actor that looks like Shintaro Katsu. <laughs> and you're like, um, she's separated from him at some point, and that's the reason she's travelling along the road. She's oh, trying to find her former okay. mentor, and she never found out if that was her actual father or not, or yeah. just someone who okay. rescued her. So I did see it when it came out on the one of the... Because I remember the... I can't even remember yeah. the DVD cover, but... I can remember nothing whatsoever about it, <laughs> apart from that it exists. Unfortunately, it's a bit forgettable. It's better in the first half, where she okay. was established as this lone wanderer with yeah. these really good sword skills, and the main actress in it is, again, another one of these famous uh, models turned singers turned oh, okay. actors, okay. Haruka Ayase, who's right. been in some other yeah, films yeah, yeah. that I've liked. Yeah, She does a really good job in the first half, and then they just decide to inject all the romantic melodrama in the second oh, half. That's oh, that's so, yeah, so, yeah, that's 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 where uh, again for the Japanese audience, I I understand yeah. why they did this. I addressed yeah. this in the book um, because the stars involved in it are in a very famous uh, Japanese melodrama, which I haven't seen that many versions of. I remember briefly watching one once. Um, one of these famous, it's an adaptation of um, one of these famous books that is very well selling in Japan because they love okay. the romantic melodramas yeah. especially the tragic ones this one's called Crying Out for Love in the Centre so of the World sure I've yeah. seen a couple of versions so, of that so the, the main characters that who end up being the love interest in Ichi they've okay. each starred in a version of that story <laughs> so one's been in the film version one's been in the TV version so I kind of understand why in the second half they suddenly inject all the tragic romantic melodrama because yeah. okay. they're trying to cover their bases they want a reintroduction of the Zatoichi character but also they want <laughs> You know the star kudos of oh yeah. it's these romantic melodrama characters. Star cross lovers yeah. return. Uh, it doesn't work, and um, I get to quote in the book um, Callum Waddle from Neo yeah, saying yeah. that it just seems like the writers had a brain fart and gave up in the second <laughs> half. Um, so I got, I got to quote him in the book, and I can understand where he's coming from, but I also say well they're doing it for this reason, but still sadly it yeah. doesn't work. Mm. It, does, it does sound rather cynical. 
Yeah. Like when you when you put it that pulling things together, but uh, no, I, I think I'm quite glad I can't remember. Like it. <laughs> what what you might be more interested in, although they're not they're not great, um, is Shochiku back in late sixties, early seventies. So this runs from nineteen sixty nine to seventy one with four films. Tried to do a rival blind oh, sword fighter series, and this was a woman. As well, Oichi, oh. the Crimson Bat. These films were released internationally as. I don't know why. I don't think the actual name, the Crimson Bat, comes up as best <laughs> as I can find out through the <laughs> subtitle translations in the Japanese films. But for yeah. some reason, these were films were released internationally as as the Crimson Bat. There were four, uh, played by, and the lead was played by Yuko Matsuyama. Um, and uh, yeah, it just lasted for these four films. There's supposedly a TV series. I've never found any evidence okay. for it though. Well, I haven't found any um, kind of video clips or anything yeah. for it. Yeah. But it seems to be credited on a lot of sources that I found. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it was Jonathan Clements who I ended up quoting saying he reckons that uh, Shintaro Katsu told Sh- Shochiku to back off and stop okay. trying to muscle in on his sort of character. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that's cool. I, I, in terms of like general and like pop culture and stuff like that, I mean, it must. I mean, we'll, we can talk about maybe a bit about Blind Fury now. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything like because mm-hmm. it, it, it's even for someone like me who hasn't seen, you know, more than a couple of the films like One Armed Swordsman, the Katana one, maybe one other. But it's such an instantly recognizable figure or character. This the sort of yeah. like the yeah. Blind Swordsman, and everything like that. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely had. It's it's not like a disconnect, but there's. I think the figure has, has a much wider sort of reach into pop culture, into figure, especially for, yeah. you know, whether it's video games, whether it's Asian cinema, whether it's Western influence, everything. Yeah. Like, even for people like who haven't seen the films or probably don't know anything about it, just this idea of like the blind wandering swordsman. Yeah. Everything like that. So is there any, I mean, apart from, you know, Blind Fury, has there been any other versions in other countries, any other rip-offs, knock-offs? Yes, I, I can tell you about loads. Um, you might want to keep an eye on the time and tell me when to stop if you want. <laughs> uh, just throw a few people. I'll throw a few yeah. out. I'll try and keep this as brief um, then as possible. I forgot to mention the other Western earlier. There was one other oh, Western with, yes. a, with yes. a blind gunslinger. I mentioned that before I forget. It ended up being as part of a HBO movie called Blind Justice. I think it came out in 92. Okay. Armand Asante. Plays plays yeah. uh, this kind of grizzled Civil War veteran that ends up becoming a blind gunslinger. Um, you can definitely find that on YouTube. I think watch watch that if you want to. I found it quite fun, if I'm honest. Um, so yeah, I kind of enjoyed that one. Um, there, yeah, there's so many others. Uh, Seventy one was Blind Man, who I mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, you could argue the one on Swordsman is perhaps an influence and there was the crossover film yeah. Um, yeah. which is lo- loads of film fans say oh they think there's an alternative ending where the one on Swordsman wins but no one has ever Nobody seen it. Nobody can actually find <laughs> no, it. I know. No. I've, I've read about that. You know, yes. from the one on But I think uh, I think you know this was this was Katsu's big cash cow at the time. I don't yeah. think he was going to agree. I don't think to the alternative cut of of the one armed swordsman winning and it doesn't explain in terms of knockoffs and impact it yeah. doesn't ex- uh, I, I think this is partially explained by the Taiwanese knockoffs of Zatoichi that came later okay. where all of a sudden there's some Taiwanese wuxia style films where Zatoichi turns up speaking Mandarin 
um, um, yeah, okay. fighting Wuxia style characters. The, uh, again, you can find a lot of this on YouTube now. Yeah. Uh, one is called, oh, it has two titles, Blind Swordsman's Revenge or Zatoichi versus the Flying Guillotine, because he does end up flying, uh, fighting someone with a flying oh, guillotine good. in it. Yeah, yeah I've watched the classic. I've watched the, as soon as you and, see Flying Guillotine. Uh, okay, and that, that's, that's definitely the first films in these series. There's all sorts of websites that try to credit this and list where the, the Blind Swordsman has turned up in Taiwanese oh, Wuxia. Okay. Yeah. And um, lots of them say, oh, I think they all come in at 72. Oh, it's 74. So there's arguments over what the right order is. Yeah. But Flying Guillotine's definitely first because they suddenly throw in this um, plot line explaining, oh, yes, you've come back to mainland China now, finally. Japanese pirates kidnapped you, and that's why you've been in Japan for so long. So this is this is the official Zatoichi sequel for the Taiwanese, the Hong Kong audience. He's some, and this is why he's suddenly speaking Mandarin now. So he was Chinese all along. Yes, he was Chinese all along. That's their argument. Yeah. Oh, so he plays... That's plays that cool. character for a few films but then uh, they might have been afraid of copyright issues by the time they get to the fourth <laughs> Trust and Brotherhood which yeah. suddenly which suddenly leaps ahead to the like 1920s 1930s era of Shanghai going by the costumes in it Zatoichi is suddenly in there there's this ferocious martial arts villain yeah. who I can't even remember the name of but it's, the plot in these films of course is not important but all of a sudden he kills off Zatoichi <laughs> yeah and I'm like well yeah you're probably afraid of the lawsuit coming your way if you continue doing this much longer um, and there was also um, I, I met some scholars who did um, going back to something you mentioned earlier did do uh, a weekend kind of uh, conference event at the School of African and Oriental Studies, oh, the sort of School of Oriental and African Studies, sorry, yeah. SOAS, oh, so, so. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, in 2019, Ekia Manjara and Hikmat Damawan, they told me a lot about Sibuta, which literally means the blind, who okay. is a comic book character who turned up in 1967. Oh. He's like, he's basically Zatoichi with magical powers, as you nice. do. Yeah. yeah, so um, it wasn't until a few years later that the comic book author Ganis Tehar admitted he got the idea from Zatoichi, but he very much rooted this character in Indonesian mythology. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ended up appearing for the first time on screen in the nineteen seventy, and it's almost a similar story to Shintaro Katsu. He doesn't make he doesn't make these films as consistently as he does, but eventually he ends up playing him on a TV series in the early nineties. This okay. ends up being quite a successful part of his career. Ratno Timur is the actor's name. Yeah. Um, so he, he almost has similar... I think he's also since passed away now, sadly okay. too, but he ends up having a similar success with the Sibuta character, almost to a similar level that um, uh, Katsu did with, oh. with, okay. with um, Zatoichi, who, as I, I think I briefly mentioned earlier, after... I'll do a quick rundown of the chronology. I can't remember if we went over that earlier. The Criterion <laughs> box set, if mm. you have that, yeah. that's the 25 films that Shintaro Katsu made for Dai A, predominantly Dai A, because they go bankrupt, as yeah. I think we mentioned earlier. The last yeah. few films in the 70s are released by Toho. Okay. Um, so he makes 25 films from 62 to 73. He's not done with the character then. He decides to br take him over to TV. Right. And that's for 1974 to 79 for 100 episodes. Um, then it's 10 years of, of Katsu trying to find other things to do with his career. doesn't really work out. He tries to come back as the character yeah. in 1989. Um, it's an interesting film. I think it's found a, a life on DVD as like one of these cult films because it doesn't, uh, not everything in it works. It's very strange. Okay. It's very, it's also very bloody. It's one of the bloodiest Satoichi film okay. I think that he made. Yeah. Um, you've got noses flying off people's faces <laughs> as well as limbs. All yeah, sorts nice. happening. That's <laughs> very... Um, that, that doesn't work for him, sadly. Yeah. Um, so he does 26 films. 
um, as this uh, as this character. Um, but you've then got in between there, you go Shotchiku Rival Series, the Taiwanese films. Yeah. Uh, Blind Fury also comes out in 89. Yes. Um, and you've got Seabuta as well, making waves in, in Indonesian cinema. Um, but there are, there are other um, influences, of course, after that. You get the Japanese remakes, which are Kitano's 2003, Haruka Ayase as Ichi in 2008, and um, Zatoichi the Last in 2010. Yeah. Um, as I said, there's been no official uh, times that Zatoichi has been on screen since, as far yeah. as I'm aware, in film and TV in Japan mm -hmm. since then. But there have been homages, not to the character. We've already mentioned Daredevil. Yes. Um, there's Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah. Um, where Donnie Yen's character Chirrut Inwe, he he admitted this himself in many an interview as well. He was a fan of the Zatoichi films. Okay. He probably he might have started off with a crossover with the One Armed Swordsman, but um, okay. as far as I can tell from a lot of the sources that I found, the other films were being shown in Hong Kong cinemas a lot. So yeah. mm. hard to tell which was his first Zatoichi film. It's like asking which is your first James Bond film. They're all played on TV. <laughs> so yeah. many films. Yeah. Another interesting link there. They they both start James Bond and Zatoichi in the same year make right. of that what you will mm. 62 um and there's been some other homages as well the other ones that i could mention um are, are actually kind of fan-made shorts that you can oh, find online okay. there's one there's one that's very much a star wars fan film called hoshino yeah. about a blind jedi that's really interesting well worth a watch it's only like uh, seven or eight minutes long and uh there's also a uh, American martial arts specialist and choreographer for many an action film called Eric Jacobus in the USA. He's made some films called Blindsided, which homage both Zatoichi and kind of Daredevil and Blind Fury all at the same yeah. time in these fan-made shorts he's made. So there's, there's, there, there is global recognition of the character on lots of yeah. different levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but I think Blind Fury is, you know, for me, that's probably still the best. Because I haven't <laughs> seen all these films and everything, but... You know, seeing that when I was very young mm. and everything. I, and you, you also it's, that kind of casting of Rutger Hauer. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he is I mean, really good. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of very kind of charismatic best in that as well. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it's one of the you know the best sort of genuinely really good action yeah. films of that you know the sort of late eighties that kind of time where there was yeah so much nonsense still coming out. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> Nick Parker is quick as a snake, strong as a bull, not to mention blind as a bat. Nice doggy. What's your problem? You blind? Yeah. Holy shoot. The blind Zorro. If you can't handle it, get me somebody that can. Get me Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is dead. He's get his brother. Rutger Hauer. I also do circumcision. Blind Fury. Yeah, I kind of tie it to kind of unfairly because it's a really good film on its own merit, but it does get kind of linked to all the pop Asian Orientalism that's going on in the 80s. Yeah, you know, they're making yeah. an American Ninja into the yes, Ninja. So yeah. it kind of makes sense for them to try and make Blind Fury as well. Yeah. But it, it has a lot going for it. It's very faithful to the Zatoichi film it's based on, Zatoichi Challenged, okay. in 1967. But that's actually the... Though it's only come out in 67, that's five years after the first one. It's the 17th 
film in the series so that, that's there's, how there's that's how quickly every, they're making it so many, yeah. so many years I mean, I, mean I thought Katsu's career was crazy for the Zatoichi films alone but then I scour through the rest of his IMDb credits yeah. and I've got some of this cited at the end of my book in terms of the partial filmography that I've put in yeah. he's he's making long running series alongside Zatoichi it's like he's <laughs> never not out of the film studio um, yeah. you know some people complain today about the cyclical nature of superhero movies yeah. Fast and Furious yeah. and the rest of it um, it's nothing compared to you know the <laughs> yeah. the, the the factory houses that are yeah. the film studios these days trying to churn out product. I mean, I, I've heard you guys speak on the podcast as well with Hong Kong films. Yeah, and they're they're producing yeah. stuff on a similar scale. Troublesome, don't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who directed Who directed Blame Fury again? Uh, that was Philip Noyce, uh, who's oh, Australian. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 but right. now very, very much an established um, action film director in the states. He did, yeah. he did. Dead Calm must have been about the same time. Dead, uh, Dead Calm was just after, I think, it was early nineties. Yeah. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great film, Dead Calm. Great film. Billy Zane, Sam Neill. And then um, I'm struggling to remember his entire filmography. Much, much later, he did Salt, the Angelina Jolie S- film. Did Sliver? I don't think he did Sliver. I might be wrong on that. I don't... Oh, yeah. I, I'm just <laughs> going to you know, say, I'm I mean, it's Ramaker Fence and, and, and quite American. Oh, he's a bit out of Fence. Okay. Kind of out of Fence. Did he do Sliver? Yes, he did. Ah, well done. You are right. I know my erotic thrillers. No, 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 sorry. Especially from the 90s. But he's a director I just associate with that kind of 90s stuff. I think after the 80s, he did churn out quite a lot of these sort of slick Hollywood thriller mm. type productions which mm-hmm. are fairly forgettable I can't really remember Sliver um, Blind, uh, Blind Fury is um, also interesting for what Rutger Hoyer did for the role you could argue that he's not making that much, much of an effort because he's one of these many actors yeah. that acts as a blind person with his eyes open this is where Shintaro Katsu right. is probably still everyone's yeah. fla- okay. favourite yeah. um, actor of the blind swordsman oh. because he always did it with his eyes closed mm. Or although there are apparently some fans that have always argued, oh maybe he could see all along because sometimes you see him <laughs> open his eyes. But Shintaro Katsu always rolled his yeah. eyes back. And if you remember the um, Kitano film, they kind of have a joke with this he at did, the end. Yes, I do with remember. His eyes, that. Uh, with his eyes being open, I won't spoil it. But they they kind of play with that um, thought of, oh, is he actually blind? I, remember, yeah. I do remember yeah. there being a bit of a jape about it. Yeah. 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 Um, and but Rutger Hoyer, he I, I ended up finding out that he he put a lot of effort into portraying a blind person, even oh. though you think he isn't, because he's doing it with his eyes open, which yes. is also what um, Yuka Matsuyama and so many other actors have have done with blind sword fighters, have actually played them with their eyes open. Um, there was a website I found. I'll try and send you the link because yeah. it's still yeah. up. Um, <laughs> it's part of the Rutger Hoyer. Uh, official website I think where he 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 it's kind of a diary entry yeah. I think from him at the time they've put it on this website where he did um shadow basically a blind martial artist that they found in the states oh, and, cool. and actually took some uh, official tips from them yeah. and then this takes me back to the fan made short that I mentioned earlier blindsided yeah you can find some making of um, uh, material on YouTube as well from Eric Jacobus as to the efforts he's going to yeah. just for this short film yeah. to play a blind yeah, character cool. and he again shadows an actual blind person to kind of get the mannerisms and everything correct so yeah. uh, 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 Blind Fury yeah is one of the better ones to try and iterate that and recapture that magic that yeah. Shintaro Katsu was so known for because um, they really did put the effort in I suppose maybe I mean sort of linking back to something we said before like in terms of it not being remade now maybe that's 
something as well people might be there is would there be any kickback from like a, a non-disabled character yeah playing in the role and stuff I, I don't know but it's Difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It is, it is a difficult one because then if you say, "Oh, it's not," we'll just have someone else playing. Like Ben Affleck can play. Very <laughs> it's time for Matt Damon to step up. You know, yeah. there, then there suddenly be a lot of flack and everything like that. And it's such a even in like the last five years that mm-hmm. you know stuff is put. And it's really, they're very hard to say what mm. you know what side of the fence that would fall on. Whether that would be seen as a problem or mm. or or not. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, to ask that for sure I mean yeah because it, it's an interesting age where we're in you can't yeah. tell how the reaction would be because uh, yeah. uh, uh, what's just won at the Oscars yeah, of course, is yes, a film with yes. deaf actors True, yeah. so yeah. They're, they're winning awards yeah. Um, yeah. But should there now be more opportunities for blind actors absolutely uh, you can yeah. make that argument yeah potentially yeah, yeah absolutely why don't we just throw into a couple of end bits about like recommendations for, for like the best favorite ones or for mm. a newcomer where to start with it or any part. yeah you know just like one or two of them because yeah the box set is terrifying yes exactly yeah, for yeah. Some, i mean for someone like me like who yeah who's aware of a big asian cinema fan mm. to stuff but who, yeah who's terrified by the box set and seeing all these films mm. knowing how much stuff out there is there. yeah if you're picking a couple of ones which would uh yeah get throw me right in there and everything and yeah sure I mean um, uh, another thing I wanted to mention in relation to Blind Fury I think I did mention it earlier actually it's quite faithful to Zatoichi Challenge and that is actually okay. one of my favourite Zatoichi films so that's definitely a good place to start also yeah. directed by one of the best directors of the series Kenji Misumi okay. who became famous for so many other mm. um, action or well, Shambara films uh, that he made later um, especially known from the his work on the Lone Wolf and Cub series, yeah, yeah, and yeah. also the other film series that Katsu also tried to get off the ground. I forgot to mention that earlier when he's trying to get more, uh, for the sake of Dae first of all, and then also Toho more sex and violence on screen. He yeah. also produced the um, Hanzo the Razor films. Mm. Oh, seen yeah. 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 yeah, those were produced yes. by him as well. Yeah, yeah. Did Arrow put the? I've got that was I've, Eureka. Eureka. Yeah. Sorry, I've, yeah, I've still got that. I'm, yeah. Uh, I've only watched one of them, I yeah. think, but it was pretty good what I saw. Yeah. So, um, base, I, following from that, my point was um, a Mizumi-directed film, like Zatoichi Challenged, you can't really go wrong. Okay. Although one of the ones he did also direct was the bizarre one I mentioned earlier, Fight Zatoichi Fight, where he's defending <laughs> the baby and also trying to breastfeed. <laughs> yeah, at the same I, time. Actually, yeah, yeah. Don't, I, don't, I shouldn't have asked this question, because that's <laughs> automatically the one I want to see. If you can put that to one side, that's only a very short part of the film. I have to say oh. the rest of it is really good actually there's some interesting choreography with him trying to change a nappy at one point and he's being attacked by the Yakuza so it's a hard boiled kind of yeah almost yeah almost, yeah. like okay. almost 30 years so you're selling it if you try to breastfeed the baby hard boiled that would be so basically any Kenji Misumi film there's also one where the title makes this film sound dire but it's actually one of the best ones it looks gorgeous the fight scenes are amazing it's Zatoichi and the chess expert so it shouldn't it shouldn't be a good film but it is That's it really is it doesn't sound very exciting no no just ignore the title is, I, it, is it a villain the chess expert he is actually towards the, the end yeah. he he's, he's, a, he's another one of these characters where Ichi makes friends with him and actually plays chess with him along okay. the way in the film and they end up having to have the climactic duel number 12 yeah. okay yeah. yeah that's that's really good um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you can't really go wrong with any of the Kenji Misumi entries if okay. you want to 
try and keep the numbers small first of all and then maybe get into the others if you're interested although there's some other directors in there that re do some really good films I mean the first one is interesting for seeing how much of a contrast it is to the later films Yes. and okay. also the director of the second one Kazuo Mori became a series regular and actually a lot of people I would include myself in this now a lot mm. of fans of Zatoichi that write about the series online say the second film is one of the best Okay. It's is fun to watch. And you also, um, if you like that one, you will also, because it, it's just a good film. It's not just because Wakayama's in there as well, but uh, Wakayama is the villain in uh, Tale of Zatoichi Continues and also Zatoichi in the Chest of Gold, which is also well worth a watch. That's, that's directed by Kimiyoshi Yasuda, who's okay. another really good director in the series. No, I, 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 after all the chances, I am quite intrigued to dip my, dip my toe into it and everything. I'm just not sure I could commit to the... You know, admittedly gorgeous box set in which is kind of hidden. It's sitting on the table here with by the whiskey, and I'm kind of <laughs> hypnotized by both of them. <laughs> As I said, if it does sound too daunting, I have left online. It's just a WordPress site. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, my blog of watching all these films in does, a short does it space of time. Does it cr get crazy towards the end? Then? Not well. <laughs> you could argue with Blind <laughs> Fury. You could argue with Blind Fury because I wasn't sure what I was letting myself in for. Letting my uh, watching this at the end. Like, yeah. is it worth leaving to the end? Am I going to be direly disappointed? <laughs> like leaving Zatoichi the last till the end, which I was disappointed at. I yeah. really regretted that. But then Blind Fury was a really good place to end on because I really ended. Oh, up I really want to. Watch, I really yeah. want to watch yeah. Blind Fury yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the DVD somewhere, but it's yeah. in my vaults. <laughs> well, not vaults. It's, it's in the giant bags which are just stashed behind my sofa. So, and I would, I would like to watch it yeah. again if I could find I, it. I also don't have a problem with there are there are some people that have a problem with the Kitana remake. Can you can you believe it? Because it was such a big success. Um, like I'm, I'm always well. yeah yeah it's really good. I, I love it. This is how I got into the Zatoichi series. But there is yeah. an author Patrick Galloway who I respect a lot has written a lot on samurai cinema. But he is he's one of these people not impressed with the. Um, Kitana remake probably because it's such a it's such a contrast from what Shintaro Katsu did but I really yeah, so yeah. Like it does sound like a bad thing though yeah, yeah. You know. I mean uh, if you can't you, 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 yeah you can't do the same thing no there's not, so not, not for, much point there's yeah. no yeah. point so doing something different yeah. I mean it's just interesting I think for people who come to Zatoichi via that then they are going to get something very different with yeah. 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 yeah did, did it win something at Venice uh, yeah, I think he got the silver line at Venice. It might have got the silver bear as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but it definitely was very well, you know, very yeah. well received. Yeah, he didn't so. get the golden line for Zatoichi because he got that for Hanabi for fireworks. Right. Yeah. Oh, but he did get he did get the silver line, I think, at Venice, okay. and it's on the um, special edition DVD as well. It premiering at Venice and it getting the standing ovation, so you know it went down well. <laughs> How many minutes and, was it? Yeah. Like eight minutes, ten minutes, six minutes. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, really if, it's under, ones, if it's under like eight yeah. minutes now, Do they have like somebody yeah, is actually timing. People. <laughs> yeah. They're like eight minutes. Shit. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get some ringers at the back to keep going. Yeah, you're slowing down. Someone's shouting something. Oh no! Do you think they now pay people to do that? I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Twelve minutes. Right. Yeah, okay, that's all right. No, no, we've got to go for fifteen. Otherwise, it's not. Electric shocks on the seats. <laughs> but yeah, that criticism aside, that some people do have of the Kitana, I think it's a great film to start with as well. It's one of the yeah. most, I would say, well, possibly one of the most widely successful because you can actually get the DVD quite cheap online. Mm, the okay. Criterion box set. Is, is quite expensive. It is a big commitment, yeah. both for watching it and also buying it. 
I do highly recommend it though, if you're interested in the character. Some of the other films, sadly, you either have to still buy on DVD, either imported mm. or otherwise. Zatoichi, the last, it didn't do well at the Japanese box office as well, so nobody so there's bothered no, there's no with international there's no point distribution. No, I, I can't really recommend that. Unless you're an absolute diehard fan and want to watch them all, if you're obsessed as I am, yeah. that's the only reason. Um, a lot of the other stuff, um, yeah, as I say, it's available on DVD. I think when the Criterion box set came out, um, those films did get put onto either the Criterion channel or Hulu okay. in the States. But other than that, if you try to find any of these on a streaming service, I think you can buy Blind Fury on Amazon, that's it. Yeah. Which is a good place to start, because yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, it's fantastic. I really, yeah. really, I'm going to probably have a few more drinks, go home, fall over the back of myself, I'm trying <laughs> to find it, give up and watch The Evil Dead again. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that planning. I love the Evil Dead. It's such a either that or Hot Fuzz probably, <laughs> because it will be on TV. Is it always? Always is. Always, always on TV. Yes, and um, we always watch it every year in our house because it came out on Valentine's Day. Is our Valentine's Day movie? Oh, that's, oh, that's actually that's really nice. <laughs> Jonathan's book, The Path of Satoichi, is available now from Rowan.com slash Lexington. If you use discount code LXFANDF30, you will get 30% off the retail price. Well worth taking up. So thanks to Jonathan for joining us in this yeah, very enlightening uh, podcast on Zatoichi. Absolutely. It's it's thank you for fun. having me. Uh, don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. <laughs> but for now, cheers. My glass is empty, I can't Cheers. It. It's too bad. It's bad luck. <laughs> but in theory, cheers. Here's a drop in there. <laughs> Semi-ganar